just been catching up so all warmed up yeah we've had like we've both had quite a good week or quite a good couple of weeks stuff's going okay oh my god yeah and huge congrats on your article for bloody women on women vomiting in horror films thank you so much I'm very happy it's like the first um I haven't finished an idea in a long time so this is hopefully bodes well for actually writing down the things that I want to write down um, and oh, thank you so much for like sharing it and saying nice things. I very much appreciate it. Of course, <laughs> of course. I'm so proud of you. And it's just such a huge accomplishment because I, 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 I've been aware of this interest in yours in terms of like just kind of depictions of women um, regurgitating in film and TV <laughs> and in media. It is actually kind of an interesting thing, like as a discourse, like as a dialectic, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Also, I'm really enjoying like all of the words that myself and other people come up with for vomit. Like, it's just like, it's, uh, I don't know, I've got like a list of like 20 words now. So it's, and growing. It's really fun. And people keep sending me more films, which I haven't seen. So I think I might have to oh, revisit perfect. the subject. Perfect. Um, I want I want the the really clinical route, uh, regurgitating. Yes, I'll do a regurgitating chapter. Like we've spoken <laughs> about kind of pregnancy ambivalence as yeah. like one thing. And so I think that eventually I could write the least popular book of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do. I do hope this develops into a book because there's so many different aspects. Yeah. And, um, Who knew? No, it's, it's really, really good. Um, and yeah, so th- we've just finished. We we've both attended the London Film Festival this year um, as uh, delegates, press delegates. So we're, today we're going to basically just pause our new um, cults on film series just to kind of report back from the films that we watched during the festival but before we go on to the films I just wanted to actually you and I both wanted to like actually acknowledge and uh, publicly thank Lizzie for leaving us such an amazing review on iTunes oh yeah that's actually partly why we had such a good week I think and it really does make a difference when someone does this but it was um like it was, it was really nice. It says, uh, this podcast is a dream come true for me as someone who is usually told to shut up with the deep pretentious analysis of films I watch with my movie buff siblings. Your siblings are movie buffs. They should not be telling you to shut up with analysis, <laughs> but, um, finding a conversation about the psychoanalysis of film is literally all I need in my life. And I completely relate to Sarah on her cathartic approach to extreme horror also. My obsession with horror and pushing boundaries as a viewer is intrinsically linked to my morbid curiosity of facing hard personal demons. And processing my own depression and abstract feelings through the film, um, through film. I can't recommend this podcast enough. It is really something special. Both Mary and Sarah talk so organically and intuitively, bouncing off each other and going on weird and wonderful little journeys. That's lack of planning, Lizzie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, to obscurity with each episode topic. I'm so glad I found this podcast as a result of Mary being on the guest of the Evolution of Horror podcast. Thank you, Mary, for doing the rounds and get, getting us publicity, um, of which she now has an ongoing slot on each episode of that show, which is totally my favorite part. Don't tell Mike. Oh, sorry, I read that out. <laughs> um, you are both totally my weirdo soul, soul sisters in film, so please never stop making this awesome podcast. Oh. Um, 
God, weirdo film sisters forever. Yeah, forever. And it really cheered us up. And I have to say that um, a cu- about a month ago, I went on these ratings and reviews and someone, and the last thing someone had written was <laughs> 45 uses of the word like in a random 120 second sample. There was even a like liked and then a sad face. And it, it upset me so much. It made me feel like a terrible, stupid moron. And like, it's like, why are you putting a sad face? You just really, you made me so sad. Like, you just made me cry. <laughs> um, so rude. It was so rude, even if so it's true. Really like, big deal. <laughs> um, so honestly, you, I, I kind of went on this thinking that would be the last review posted, and I'd have to look at it again. And so this really really cheered me up so thank you so much yeah likewise it it gave me a huge boost as well and it was just like wow it's nice to see that we can have an impact like that and I mean we do it for selfish reasons because we just you and I Sarah we love talking with to each other about movies Mm -hmm. the fact that like we can actually share our conversations um and kind of connect with other people and share our interests in this way it's just such a gift it's really nice. And I do totally understand. Like when I listen to other podcasts, I sometimes like I act like I'm in the conversation and yeah. like sometimes I'll lose track of what they're saying because I'll be making my point in my head and then I'll have to skip back. So yeah, there is something about podcasts that is so much more involving than the average medium. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Especially in these times where we're told that we have to stay apart from each other, but we we found this little way of still remaining like in in connection and yes. in contact so it's nice it's really so nice. thanks again lizzie like that was really for for us it was just really well received and and it seems so heartfelt so we're just really really appreciative we really do um, yeah and um so before again like just to kind of set up what we're going to be talking about because we've decided that we're going to talk about five films from the festival mm-hmm. um but in the in in the pre-recording moments we had like some observations about just the way that we had to um engage with the festival this year obviously because of covid the majority of the screenings were online mm-hmm. and you know obviously in previous years we'd attended as delegates uh and we were able to kind of like physically go to the cinema queue up with the other delegates organize our day like t- actually take time off from our work to like go and see movies over the you know the the allotted time of the festival and this year I think we both agreed that this year everything being online certainly made both of us kind of appreciate those little things that we took for granted when we were able to go physically (laughs) I mean I'm really glad that the you know that the festival continued because I really I enjoy it every year and it's you know it's fantastic and I'm really glad they continued it and I did go to one public screening and they had um just a really kind of brief like video introduction by the director and that we, you know, they, they, they did, they really did their best and they thought of everything, but I've been saying it for a long time. Cause I have, you know, as you know, I have a film club and we did, did used to arrange screenings before, yeah. before COVID. And it's just, it's the combination of the small screen and the lack of the kind of like audio visual experience. And then it's just the lack of the, of the sort of, the co- not collaborative the the social experience of watching with other people I think you want to see a film at its very best and its film at its very best is on a big screen with other people where you can feel them reacting and you're sort of one you're like one yeah. body you know 
that communal experience you know that's it communal not collaborative um yeah it's really important so I think I while I was really happy that the festival went ahead I didn't yeah I didn't really I I the films that I really enjoyed I regretted not seeing them on a big screen in a cinema and the films that I didn't enjoy so much I wonder if I would have seen more in them had I not been you know distracted on a work day in on you know watching a couple you know a film on my lunch break so I I don't think it's an optimum way to watch films and I really hope we can I really hope by next year it's all better Oh, me too. Um, like when I was logging in to watch a film uh, online, I, I just it just felt very inelegant. Like mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, where you know, the cinema is such a majestic experience for me. It's a really kind of dedicated ex- viewing experience. And I, I'm ashamed to say I did pause a lot of my screenings to check Twitter and stuff like that. And it's like, that's not, that's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Same. It's not, it's just not, the, it's not the same at all. It's not the same. And I, last year, I remember like I was always, you know, rushing to get a sandwich from Pratt in Leicester Square and then going to <laughs> Q. And it's like, I can't believe that I ever thought that was going to, that, that was annoying. Actually, I missed that, you know. Yeah, um, I really miss it. And I like, I miss queuing up. <laughs> I miss chatting to people in the queue I miss accidentally sitting next to you in a screening that we hadn't planned to attend together which what happened last year um yeah it's I don't know I think if you if you do feel like it's safe and it is something that you can do I think try and just try and see films on the big screen um, because the whole industry is really under threat and it would just films just aren't as good without the cinema no and yeah it's not gonna it's it would be such a tragedy if it was all to go away absolutely we have to fight for the cinema yeah it's really important yeah um and you know what it it, it, it's amazing because when we decided to record this uh we hadn't touched base with each other in terms of what we were planning to watch um but it turns out we've actually watched a lot of the same you know similar titles um Mm. I actually quite like this kind of more boutique selection of films. I think they definitely had less films this year. And they definitely, it felt um, a bit more manageable because previously there's, you know, there's so many on at the same time and you have to weigh up what you want to see against something that's playing at the same time and whether you think you can risk getting a a ballot ticket and all of that stuff, which is still fun and exciting. But this was... I mean, apart from the fact that I didn't take time off and I had to fit in viewings between work and I did miss a couple of things that I really wanted to see. Yeah. Um, I saw, um, is it is it Becky, uh, who sometimes goes on the evolution of horror, yes. um, say that she missed Possessor and that she was really, really upset about it. Um, just from having like a really busy work day and just totally just thinking yeah. it would be, you know, thinking that she could push it and then it was, wasn't on the platform anymore. Um, which is heartbreaking and I had that with a couple of things yeah um, I just completely forgot to watch something Um, I I wanted to see that I think it's a Mexican um, thriller New Order yes I wanted to see that too I just I watched I forgot to watch it like I had time it was I I, I, you know I I was planning on watching it and I just completely forgot yeah I forgot as well and yeah this happened a few times with films yeah Um, I wanted to watch time and I totally forgot that that was on on the day it was yeah I I just I completely like completely forgot that things were on over the weekend because they're usually not when it comes to the selection that we did watch I felt that there were some 
obvious projections podcast films and the, yeah. that's why we ended up watching quite a lot of the same things because there were yeah. you know there were things that just called to us and they were obviously the things the stars of the festival <laughs> as far as we were concerned yeah absolutely and um we're not going to really touch on this film today even though we both saw it Kajillionaire mm. the Miranda July film but we will definitely bring this up in the future because it is um if we ever decide to bring back our series on work and money Kajillionaire is so perfect for that yeah um but yes and we and we did watch everything in the cult uh stream um so not that there were that many it was only three yeah, films I but... three or four maybe in the end with rose with oh yeah rose. yeah that's um, right yeah so yeah much more manageable cult uh section than usual but cult is usually the one that we are yeah <laughs> yeah definitely cult and um what is it cult and debate are the ones that oh, I, yeah. I tend to always watch <laughs> that's right yeah so let's start with, then with Relic, because we mm-hmm. both saw that one, uh, directed by Natalie Erica James. Mm-hmm. Um, so is this an Aussie film? I think so, I think yeah. Yeah, yeah. Apart Aussies from, make good horror films. They do. I mean, Australian cinema is kind of amazing. Oh, um, yeah. I've been thinking a lot about different Australian films recently. And mm. yeah, it is, it's, it's a really, you know, I don't know what it is about their kind of like society and landscape that lends itself to really good, really sort of uneasy films. But yeah, they've been good at it for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like when I compare Australian horror cinema with like New Zealand horror cinema, it's just like Kiwis came up with like this film called Black Sheep, which is supposed to be about this like uh lunatic sheep that like kills people. Or Amazing. <laughs> You know what? I take that back because, of course, Brain Dead by Peter Jackson, mm-hmm. one of my favorite, actually, my favorite zombie film of all time, is from New Zealand. So I take that back. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, Relic. I mean, I had I had seen a trailer for this months ago, so it was on my radar. Yeah, same, um, same. Yeah, and I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm intrigued. So, what did you think of it? I really liked it. Yeah, um, me too. I thought. I, I yeah I thought it was a really like good little film and that I loved all the actress actresses in it um I don't, it's hard to talk about it too much without spoiling which I think we're going to find with all of these things but no I thought it was like a gen I, again I was sad not to see it in the cinema but I thought it was like a genuinely like scary atmospheric and a really good depiction of families yes yeah yeah I agree I thought that it was really well cast um, I was surprised that it was Bella uh, Heathcote who was in it. I actually. love it. I love seeing Bella Heathcote because me too. Yeah, I think she's brilliant, and I think she should be in more things. Um, yeah, and she's a good. She's such a good horror actress, isn't she? She really is. And I also, I don't know why Emily is it Emily uh, Mortimer. Mortimer. I don't know why mm-hmm. she's not been in more horror because I know actually she's quite spooky. Yes. Um, you know the thing I like about Emily Mortimer is that. As with all British actors, she was once in an episode of Midsummer Murders. And her <laughs> episode of Midsummer Murders is super creepy. It's one of the really, really early ones. And it involves like an incest storyline, a brother-sister incest storyline. Okay. And it's super creepy and super unsettling for like late night murder mystery ITV TV. And right. ever since then, I cannot, I, like, I always think of her as like a really psychologically creepy person. 
um, mm. because of this because of this weird TV appearance. So I'm really happy <laughs> that she was in something else quite spooky. Oh wow! Mm. Oh my gosh! I need to seek out this episode. I will try and find. I try and find what episode it was. I can't. I mean, I guess if you just look on her IMDb, you'll find it. Yeah, um, I'll be able to find it. But then the thing about Midsummer Murders is often people are in it like again with that. Even if they like got murdered, they'll just like be in it a few series later. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, um, so she might have been in more than one, but I, I'm pretty oh, sure God. she was in that. The Return of the Repressed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, they were all really great. And it was Relic is just such a good little um, house of horrors film, isn't it? Like, it's just home invasion and like, scary house films have always been a favorite of mine, because they're always so uncanny. Like they're the kind of definition of uncanny. They really are. I really liked the I, I mean, I really enjoy it in films when women when in horror films, especially when women are artists, Yeah. as well. And you had this grandmother making these kind of strange like melty candles like yeah yeah, which she kind of used a knife to sort of peel layers and layers away yeah and I suppose the peeling back element of the candle makes sense in terms of the final scene which I will not reveal Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) on the day of my screener um I was sort of looking at Twitter after I watched the movie and I was kind of looking for reactions to it and overwhelmingly everybody was saying that it's like a film about an elderly person suffering from dementia, but mm-hmm. without again, you know, revealing anything, no spoilers. I don't. I think the dementia thing is a red herring. I don't think it's about that at all. I think personally, I thought that it was really about intergenerational trauma. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah? I wasn't. I thought that the Alzheimer's thing was too dementia obvious. thing was too obvious. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I mean, it does. It appears to reject that in the end. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that's too much of an obvious reading. Um, yeah, yeah. Even if it I mean, was consciously about that, it's it's um, you know it's about something else. Because also, you know, the 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 terrifying thing about dementia is is other things. It's not just it's not just the dementia. It's like your entire relationship with this person. Yeah, kind of is called into question, which is like quite a for a, quite a psychoanalytic thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I guess I was convinced of of my reading when I thought like, this is this, this film is perfect for our podcast in a future programming, if we were to do like another mental illness series, Mm. um, I would, I would classify this under PTSD, you know, intergenerational uh, trauma in particular. So that's, that's how I, in the end, decided that it wasn't so much about dementia at all. Yeah, I think it's going to do really well when it, come, when yeah. it does come out. Definitely. So then moving on to another film that we both watched, Shirley. Yeah. Josephine um, Decker, this was your standout in the festival. It really was. This and Possess, um, I think, are my standouts. Yeah. Um, I liked a lot of things, but um, I, I was just, I've been looking forward to this for a, a year like a long yeah. time I can't remember when we put it on our Twitter as a sort of on our radar thing okay but it, yeah I've been looking forward to this for a long time and um I love Josephine Decker I think she's really exciting I'm really excited that she's growing and getting big, bigger budget kind of more important films and I think this is her best yet yeah um I, I read someone on Twitter say it was like incomprehensible nonsense which I didn't understand at all when I I was a bit nervous to watch it after that review but um 
yeah I don't know I just think it was like it's really nice to see her like very kind of experimental um sort of uh tropes kind of become like grow up I suppose and be used in this in this really interesting story and I think Shirley Jackson's fascinating I think the idea of telling a fictional doing like a fictional biopic is fascinating um I thought it was I love that actress Odessa Young who's in Assassination Nation I think she's really good yeah I I really enjoyed it I liked the kind of include like I think she's got great with sound and she has that weird sort of performance thing going through all of her films all that singing and um that kind of like experimental um sort of folkloric singing and that was in here in this really threatening way the threatening other women and their singing was really I thought I really enjoyed that um yeah the, the surplus of women surplus of women which um definitely something I feel in my life (laughs) yeah um I I, yeah I loved it I but I was I was primed to love it so I like how you describe her um techniques as really kind of evolving because I think prior to Shirley I only thought of Josephine Decker as being like almost exclusively an experimenter like Mm. really an experimentalist in her filmmaking and I feel like she still tra- stayed true to her to that type of like unconventional vision, but now it seems to like be finding its feet more in terms of telling a, a more comprehensive narrative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really. I'm excited to see her be given more opportunities and more money. Not too much money because that will ruin it. But yeah. <laughs> you know, more bigger budgets and you know just more access, and the fact that she worked with Elizabeth Moss as well, who's a genius. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, who, yeah, just like a total master of her craft was. was oh yeah, completely brilliant. I'd actually like to see. I'd love to see them form a kind of like partnership and work together again. Because yes. that it, I think their their work together isn't finished. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we're going to be looking at uh, Madeline's Ma- Madeline in this in, in our cult series. So mm-hmm. we will be returning again to uh, Josephine Decker not, in not too long. And yeah, I think on the point of not, you know, just kind of ensuring that she gets enough financial support, but not too much money. And th- I, it made me think of um, <laughs> Darren Aronofsky, mm-hmm. because he's a director who, you know, <laughs> he, he just he's brilliant and he is so creative and he can jump from different genres and just kind of always find his feet. And, but he, I think he works best in like more modest budgets because when he gets too much money, he makes something like Noah, (laughs) which is just like, I don't know what that is. It's like transformers in the Bible or something. Yeah. Yeah. You got to be really careful. Yeah. So we don't want that to happen to Josephine Decker. Um. (laughs) I think it's really, I think medium amounts of money are the optimum level for everyone in whatever they do, because like there is an intrinsic immorality to large, huge amounts of money and it will, you will do something crazy and I've, I've, and borderline (laughs) immoral with too much money. it's very corrupting it's very corrupting you should not have it there should be there should be constraints in creativity that's how where creativity comes from like pushing up against pushing up against borders 
Yeah, absolutely. Like artists and creators are usually like the the ones responding to like the, a lack, mm. you know, or some kind of challenge. And if you take that away from them, <laughs> they become like... It's nice to see that, um, you know, I think Josephine Decker, I'm going to make a prediction. She's going to be a very prolific filmmaker in the next few years. Yeah. I predict. Yeah. I, I think, think she comes I from yeah. a theater background. Oh, okay. Um, so I think she's used to working like fast and making, um, you know, making things work where they were, you know, sort of sticking things together and making them work with a limited amount of resources. Ah, um, yeah and I think she's yeah I think she's really I think she was like a really authentic creative voice and um it's it's really exciting to see someone like that um yeah, this, yeah. so um yeah I love her yeah absolutely I hugely rec- recommend um so the third film is El Profugo The Intruder so this is an Argentine thriller directed by Natalia Meta. I missed it. I oh was one of goodness. the things that I forgot to watch and it was on my list and I'm really upset. So you're going to have to take this one and tell me what I missed. I'll take the lead. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm sorry that you missed it. You, I, I, I'm going to predict that we will find that this film will be distributed, hopefully. I really because so. I just hope it, that it will be because I need to own this film. It is so psychoanalytic. A very high percentage of people in Argentina are in psychoanalysis. It's just like a way of life down there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why, <laughs> but it's they're just very psychoanalytically oriented. Like it's very integrated into their popular culture. People are just encouraged to be in analysis. They're encouraged to think in that way. And that is so kind of written all over this film. Um, it's it's actually a film that's loosely based on the novel El Mal Menor by C.E. Filing. And it was selected to compete for the Golden Bear in the main competition section of uh, this year's Berlin International Film Festival. So it's kind of been on the, you know, festival circuit, which makes me think that it will probably get picked up and hopefully... You know, be available to watch because I I'm I need to get my hands on this film like a physical copy because I feel like it's such it's so it's so good for our podcast as well. So it's basically the story of a woman called Inez who's a young musician. She sings in a choir. Um, she does also work as what's that job where you do the audio for like dubbing on films like the, she she records like audio oh cool yeah yeah so it kind of also remind me reminded me of peter strickland's barbarian sound studio yeah that's why i wanted to see it <laughs> <laughs> and the sound design is amazing like it is so it's just there's so much thought you can tell there's so much thought that's gone behind it so basically she goes off to a holiday with a new lover they haven't been together that long the guy is very kind of like overbearing and he's kind of annoying (laughs) and they go off on holiday together and something traumatic happens and then she returns and she sort of like enters this weird state of confusion and you can the trauma kind of lingers with her and there's all kinds of weird things that happen and I'm kind of stuck to say what it is that's going on but I will say without this doesn't spoil anything 
the film is intentionally blurring the lines of what is really happening and items from her own fantasy life. And I think it's making a commentary on the mechanisms of her psyche and it's all being manifested like visually in the film. And it's just so clever. Like, (laughs) Oh, it sounds amazing. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Like it has such a, one of the best um, depictions of trauma that I've ever seen. And it's so original. Like it's not the way that you would usually think of how trauma affects you. So it's just like super unique and, it just, I was gutted that I didn't see it in the cinema. It would have been so much better with the sound, you know? Well, hopefully it will have a cinema release and we can go and see it. Yeah. Um, that would be the ideal. I feel like maybe there's a, a, a trauma series percolating. Set it to the Twitter poll. <laughs> Very many series. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like also um, this would be a very stylish film for uh, Zodiac for you guys to exhibit as well. Oh, okay. Amazing. Yeah, just because it looks just very kind of captivating. And yeah, so I loved it. I highly recommend. Amazing. Well, I would love to it when I can get my hands on it. (laughs) Fantastic. Okay, so here's a film that we both really loved. Um, and we've both been anticipating for a long time. Mm-hmm. Possessor. Possessor. Oh, amazing. Like, I think it's amazing. He's like the Donna Tart of filmmaking, leaving like almost 10 years between <laughs> between films, uh, which is incredible. Um, Brandon Cronenberg. What a creative genius. Family. Oh, my, I know. Yeah. What a creative genius. This man is. It breaks my heart that we've had to wait this long, like since antiviral, because I loved antiviral so much. Mm-hmm. And now to have this, I hope he doesn't take, you know, as many years for his third film. You know, what? if that's but what he needs, then that's what he gets. We'll he wait. Can have whatever <laughs> conditions are right for him. Um, because he just, you know, like he just builds worlds in this insanely brilliant way and you know they don't need over explanation they don't need they're not like they're not hard to understand but they're just completely parallel universes and they're they're incredible yeah absolutely like it's just um I don't even know how to talk about this film it almost feels like words seem so banal compared to what this is um it's just you're right like he builds worlds and you completely as a spectator you are completely immersed in his vision like there's no escape um what was like what did you think of um because this whole business I mean just to say a little bit about what it's about for for those of you who haven't seen it and if it is on your on your radar I mean we can't recommend it enough but um so basically, it's one of these um, kind of body hijack stories, isn't it? It's, yeah. It follows an agent who works for a secretive organization that uses brain implant technology to inhabit other people's bodies and ultimately driving them to commit assassinations for high paying clients. So I knew that going into the film because I had watched the trailer and um I, at first I thought, oh, okay, well, this is kind of done, you know, being done before with, I've seen Inception, you know, except that in Inception, of course, they hijack dreams. 
um, whereas this is like actual like conscious bodies. Mm-hmm. This makes in- Inception look like like a joke. <laughs> it's just. Yeah. I agree. I feel bad anyway, but I agree even more now. I mean, I did like Inception initially because I love dream stuff and like I do. I'm a I'm a Leo fan, so I had there was things in it that attracted me to the concept. But- For me, the only good thing about Inception is that time that in Thirty Rock, Alec Baldwin makes that joke: "I never sleep on planes. I don't want to get incepted." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, I should maybe give it another try because I just. Uh, I'm not. We've talked before. I'm not a Christopher Nolan fan. Yeah. I I, uh, I find it a little bit silly. Whereas I, mean, I wouldn't film- find Possessor silly because it's just not that same tone. It's like no, you know, it's no exactly nightmare. You know, nightmarish. It just feels much more real to me. Yeah, and it just doesn't let up. Yeah, it doesn't. Like, what was the bit that got you thinking? Okay, like. With because and, Andrea Riseborough, she's amazing in it. Yeah, and I she- mean, it's interesting because this almost felt like she was doing some kind of meta meditation on her craft. Wow! Because she's so. I mean, she was the perfect casting because she just disappears into Andrea Riseborough. Almost like doesn't have a face. Yeah. She just disappears into whatever she's playing, um, and she's done it so much with so many different characters. Yeah. Um, so that she was the perfect casting. It almost just looked like you were watching some kind of workshop with her, um, wow. with her sort of doing her thing. Um, but so, what was the question? What What was the moment? What was the moment that um, you felt that there was something wrong with her? Because, like, because I, I I can't quite work out this what this film is. Still, like, I need to watch it multiple times. Yeah. You know. I feel like I was just like I just saw one primal scene and I walked away like breathless mm-hmm. and I need to like sit down and process what I saw but I, I I can't work out whether she was just like um you know what I'm not I, I better not say it because it's it's I'm trying to figure out a way to phrase my question but if I if, if I speak it I will spoil the film I think we're gonna ret- we're gonna return to this film. We will return to this. I think that it actually goes well with Relic, um, yeah. in the sense that it questions um, what's really in you or not. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, all that I'll say because that it you know it's very surprising in the way that it ends, asking yeah. very different questions to what you thought it was going to ask, like yeah. or making very different statements about people's motivations okay you've actually answered the question yeah. that, I didn't, that I didn't verbalize yeah um, okay, and that, I it surprised you. me so I wasn't <laughs> expecting that when so when that did came come at the end it, it changed the whole film for me and now yeah. I feel that I will have to watch it again in order to yeah. get to understand that moment more exactly so, okay got you um, yeah. it was also pretty gross um yeah good body horror even the, within the first 10 minutes 10 seconds I was averting my eyes because I don't like scalp things <laughs> like I'm already pretty squeamish about my scalp for some reason um like I don't like and it, I actually had the same thing with relic like I don't like oh, seeing yeah. people's scalps I really don't enjoy it I don't know what that's about um, for someone that just wrote an essay on vomit, I am actually a really squeamish person. Um, 
So, yeah, the, within the first 10 seconds, and then there's another scene that is like one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, it was what I was expecting it. And I actually thought it would be more violent than it was. Um, I'm yeah, not yeah. sure why it's got an 18 certificate. Yeah, why? I don't really know. I don't really understand. It's been a long time since anyone understood those certificates. Um, I mean, I've seen horror films that are way gorier than this, and they're 15. Yeah, same. I don't, I don't understand what it is. That you can have like Disney-fied horror where something's gory, but it's got a different kind of tone. But when something's yeah. genuinely nightmarish, it can have only a couple of instances of gore and get a higher certificate. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, because yeah. it is a really effective horror and it really lingers. Mm. And I think that Possessor is the reason why I forgot to watch New Order because I think they me were too. On the same, they were on the same day, and I was so like, kind of shocked by what I saw and I was so mesmerized by Possessor that it I just it set me off in this kind of like daydream for the rest of the day and I was like oh shoot there's other movies like yeah yeah same. <laughs> but yeah I cannot recommend this enough we need to like find an excuse to to have a series with Possessor in it definitely um, I mean I think um we're due for another horror series anyway yeah. Uh, maybe sort of around this time next year so maybe in like a couple of yeah. series times it'll come back it'll come back because we even when we were planning women in horror we had so many episodes that didn't make the cut that we wanted to talk about so so many yeah so yeah we've oh god we've got so much work to do <laughs> it's just gone for years <laughs> um so shall we move Final, on to yeah. Ammonite uh Let's which is where Francis Lee Francis Lee is that only his second film Ammonite it is Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, he's doing well. Yeah, he seems like a very nice guy. He was the one that I saw the um, audience interview. Or no, oh, audi- not audience interview, but like audience introduction, um, like a video uh-huh. introduction. It was very sweet. Very, he seems like a really nice man. I didn't know what to expect with Ammonite. I went in, I'd seen one trailer, like the, the, the kind of more bridge trailer. Um, I was primed to just be like indifferent about this film. Mm. But actually, I thought it was really good. Yeah, so did I. I thought it was really nice. I thought, I think I felt a little bit cynical about this film because I feel like there's a a wave of like romantic LGBT cinema, which is obviously great. But it feels yeah. like sometimes when films come after, like I don't know, Portrait of a Lady on Fire yeah. last from last year, it's sometimes once if you're if you make a film that is following a trend, even if you didn't intend to. It can sometimes seem like a cynical move, uh-huh. um, but I thought it was really authentic and really lovely. Um, yeah, same here. And it's nice to kind of see. I I quite like the whole thing of like the grimy costume drama as well, like the costume uh-huh. drama that's not sub- like you know all about kind of sublime wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I thought it was really lovely. I think that I it was really glad I saw it in the cinema. It was. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was just really, it was really beautiful, really quiet, which I liked a lot. It's, I like films where people don't speak to each other very much. I think it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting uh, trope. Um, yeah. Where like love is like very silently expressed. Yeah. Um, I thought, it, yeah, I thought it was really beautiful. What did you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, I also enjoy the trope of, you know, people who just shut the fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> like, just kind of coexisting. I, 
I guess like I also did not know about Mary Anning at all. Like I'd never even heard her name before. Yeah, same. I so, can't believe that it's I know. insane how women are kind of uh, taken out of history, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Because she's this like super important like paleontologist who was an autodidact. Like she just was this hard worker living in Lyme Regis in the south of England. It's southwest, isn't it? Mm her scientific discoveries as a paleontologist were massive and yet you're right like it's like her influence has almost been erased from popular history Mm -hmm. for me it was also a very very educational film because then after the film I read up some things about her and I was like wow this is it's like not knowing who Marie Curie was you know yeah yeah it's really it's really interesting it was a really nice historical film and it's yeah. really interesting that that's kind of what he tackled next after this sort of right. this just this quite sort of fictional love story that he goes into these this historical drama. It's quite a switch. Yeah, um, it just kind of again it just shows like the scope of his interests. I just feel like we're just dealing with these really interesting people who have directed films this year. These people yeah. that you'd want to have a dinner party with. Like all of these directors that we've just spoke spoken about, they just all seem like really genuinely interesting people who research into, you know, into like the most fascinating topics and then come out with I these know. films. Oh yeah, at the at this dinner party, I'm gonna sit next to Brandon Cronenberg. Like I'm already like I'm gonna shotgun that right away. That's absolutely fine. I'm gonna sit next to Dustin Decker, and <laughs> it's going to be lovely. But yeah, like I, I saw some chatter on Twitter about Ammonite. A couple of people were a bit irked that the scent, the focus of the film was this kind of love story. Or maybe like, I don't know if it was embellished or how much of it really happened. But anyway, what was depicted in the film was mainly like a love affair um, okay. compared to but I don't agree I don't think it is like I, I we saw her working all the way through the film yeah I think it's very much about someone's work um it, yeah I don't think that I mean obviously it's about how you can't have you know you can't live a life without love um but yeah no I didn't think that at all I didn't agree um and it wasn't like um god what is that blue is the warmest color where you had these really like yeah. these really kind of exploitative scenes of um <laughs> of sex that go on forever it was you know I think it yeah it was very much about her and her career um I yeah I think um I think it was quite a really realistic depiction of her and her career because it wasn't it can't be like the devil wears Prada where you see her no. like advancing at work because she didn't advance at work you know no. so it's about the way that she was ignored and the way that she carried on anyway yeah absolutely and actually the love story I felt was just kind of a metaphor to amplify her work because actually she was a very kind of like strong and well-defended person with a hard exterior Mm. and you know through like like persistent chipping away you arrive at something at the center like this delicate nature at the center you know and that's exactly what her work was about yeah yeah exactly it was really nice sort of metaphorical film the one thing I will say about it is um, I'm getting a bit tired of um, excessive sound design in in British cinema okay um, I don't need to hear like a pencil 
the reverberating around the room and it's <laughs> it's like it's something that's been going on since like maybe since Morven Keller and then like much more since Fish Tank and it's uh-huh. like we get it that you know British cinema has to have like a lot of natural sounds really really escalated um yeah. but that's like it's it's a turning into a pet peeve of mine I'm getting a little bit annoyed with hearing <laughs> at like hearing the sort of what is it called I can't oh, remember. Uh, diegetic. Diegetic, thank you. Yeah, I'm getting a bit tired of over overly hearing diegetic sounds in cinema. <laughs> uh, but that's just, uh, that's nothing to do with Francis Lee himself. It's to do with all British filmmakers have kind of <laughs> followed this trend. And I'm sure that it's everyone's authentic and passionate decision. Um, yeah. But no, I'm getting, t- I'm getting tired of it. It's too many sounds. I'm going to just, I'm going to assume that it's like diegetic sound designers, like holding a gun to these people's heads. Yeah, (laughs) I think it is too. I think it must be like a wave of people coming out of their sound sound arts degree and getting jobs in the industry. And they've all been taught fish tank by one, like what? It's like one guy at LCC who's doing this. (laughs) He's like churning out these people. Uh, like oh or like Bournemouth or somewhere it's like someone's doing this yeah. <laughs> and I want I want different sound design now it's time for something new <laughs> oh my gosh yes I second that yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, I live down the road from LCC so I'm gonna like maybe do a stakeout yeah and see if just I can go like, on doors and be like who's doing this please <laughs> teach something else but yeah like that concludes our um roundup of the london film festival this year in Fortnite, we're going to return to cults on film yep so we'll be here in two weeks with our episode two um in the meantime all the usual things follow us on our socials at projections podcast at projections pod rate and review us rate and review us because that makes us very happy and yeah. if you um you know if you have the money or the inclination then donate to us because that helps us run the website and it just gives us a little bit more free time to research and plan our series yeah yeah we're super appreciative of all the support we get mm-hmm. Great. see you next time bye bye